Huge cultural news on this most sacred liberal festival of National Coming Out Day. 64-year-old pop singer Madonna has come out as gay. Here she is on TikTok, says, if I miss, I'm gay. And she throws her underwear and it misses. And then she kind of throws her hand in the air to say that she is gay. Incredible news that Madonna is finally accepting her true self, her most authentic identity as gay. We, we did, just didn't know all this time, but that's her true self. Incredibly. It is incredible because Madonna has famously dated lots and lots of men. Tony Ward, Sean Penn, Lenny Kravitz, Tupac, Dennis Rodman, Carlos Leon, David Blaine, Vanilla Ice, Guy Ritchie, A-Rod, Brahmin Zaibat, Timor Steffens, Ala Malek Williams. Those are just the first ones that pop up on Google in the first result on Google, okay? She's been married twice, both times to men, obviously. And I don't mean to broadcast the ladies' secrets, but they're not secrets. This has been her brand for over 40 years. If Madonna is a lesbian, this would appear to be a rather recent turn of events. But the LGBT activists tell us, or at least they used to tell us until very recently, that sexual orientation is something that you're born with, that it's completely unchangeable. That's why we have to ban the so-called conversion therapy. Until the last few years, when not only sexual orientation, but sex itself became something that changes constantly. And however it changes, whenever it changes, that is your true, authentic self until tomorrow when it will probably change again. And then no one can ever bring up all the stuff that you said and did, the person that you were just yesterday. National Coming Out Day is the perfect holiday for a culture devoted to erasing its past, to denying its traditions, to maligning everything that happened before this very moment. A culture that insists upon questioning every ancient truth and bans you from questioning anything that happens to be in fashion among the ruling elite right now. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to come out as a lesbian too. Many, many years now, people have noted the similarities, the resemblance between me and Rachel Maddow. So let's do it. It's National Coming Out Day. I am officially a lesbian. I don't think this will affect my marriage, my relationship with my wife. Uh, my orientation will remain the same. But from now on, in honor of National Coming Out Day, to get a little bit more attention, just like Madonna is obviously crying out for, uh, I, Michael Knowles, am a lesbian. Uh, my favorite comment yesterday is from Dave M., who says, a friend of mine had a 37-year-old co-worker who did not return to work after his third COVID shot. Three days later, they found him dead in his apartment, heart failure. Terrible story. Many such cases. I have a relative who is very liberal and was, like all the liberals, was COVID crazy, and everyone has to get a thousand shots and everything. And she said, you know, Michael, COVID's really scary because my friend's father died uh, about two weeks after getting the shot. And I said, oh, are you, so you acknowledge that there are risks to the shot, that, that the shot is causing heart problems and killing people? And she said, oh no, Michael, you're crazy. What a crazy conspiracy theorist. I just mean he, he had these heart problems because he had had COVID months prior. No, no, no. The shot that he had a couple weeks before, or maybe it was even one week before. No, that has nothing to do with it. No, it was obviously the COVID that he had six months prior. That's what killed him. That's why you need to get the shot. People seriously think this. That's what the whole culture told us to do. And then you have these sad stories like you're describing many, many such cases. We got to protect ourselves. Got to protect our homes. That's why you got to get ring. Right now, head on over to ring.com slash Knowles. I know what you're thinking. Ring, ring is the video doorbell company, right? Yes, they are. And you can see and speak to whoever is at your doorstep, whether you're in the home, at the office, or on the other side of the world. But did you know Ring also has an alarm? Ring Alarm is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. Even I can do it. But Ring did not stop there. Ring changed the home security game with Ring Alarm Pro, which is why I have teamed up with Ring. I completely trust these guys. I 
absolutely recommend that you go pro. Be a pro, just like me. With Ring Alarm Pro, you will protect not just your physical home, but your digital home too. Not just the walls and the windows and the doors, but also your data with an Eero Wi-Fi router. Absolutely important stuff. So head on over right now. Go pro, get Ring Alarm Pro. Go to ring.com slash Knowles. That is ring.com slash Knowles. National Coming Out Day is not the only sacred liberal feast that we're celebrating this week. I should have spoken more about this yesterday. I forgot. It's it's now, it's the most important, it's the most important liberal sacred holiday of October 12th, 2022. That, of course, would be Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes. No, that was, it was, I'm sorry, it was October 10th. Today is the 11th National Coming Out Day. Tomorrow, I don't know, what's tomorrow going to be? Transgender Awareness Day. But yesterday was Indigenous Peoples Day, also known as Columbus Day. Columbus Day is a real holiday that we have celebrated off and on since 1891, 1892. Uh, But certainly since the 1930s, we've celebrated it very regularly until a bunch of liberals decided that they hate Christopher Columbus because he discovered America and he brought Christianity and Western civilization to the New World and they've decided this is very, very bad, even as they sip their Starbucks lattes and type on their iPhones and enjoy all the privileges of being an American. They pretend that they would rather live under the Aztec empire, having their hearts ripped out by maniacs on top of a pyramid. So uh, that, that's what they tell us. And it's not just the fringe people telling us this. That's what Kamala Harris tells us. The vice president tweeted out yesterday, on Indigenous Peoples Day, we pay respect to tribal nations and indigenous history. Today and every day, let us continue to celebrate and uplift the rich contributions of indigenous peoples. Their leadership has made our country stronger. Now, of course, this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because we are told, on the one hand, the indigenous peoples are so important, they've made our country stronger, or they're such an important part of our country. Also, we're really, really evil because we killed all the indigenous peoples. So which is it? Do they still exist and they make our country stronger? Did we kill all of them and that's why we're so bad? Who are the indigenous peoples that we're talking about? Because when I think about the arrival of Columbus, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He arrived and it's true that this experience of of colonialism uh, had some problems with it. There's no question about that. Although it's worth correcting the historical record. Most of the things that people accuse Christopher Columbus of having done, he just didn't do. It was other people. It was other Spaniards. In fact, Christopher Columbus very often was taking the side of the Native Americans against some of the more aggressive and violent of the Spanish conquistadors and explorers, the, the original crew, not, not the later crews, but the original crew that came with Columbus. And actually, a lot of the crimes that he was accused of well, he was accused of them by Francisco de Bobadilla, who was his political rival and who took over his spot as governor of the West Indies. So uh, yes, it's, it's uh, true that there is essentially one document that says that Columbus did all these terrible things, but it was written by his chief political rival. That would be like trusting uh, an account of Donald Trump's life written by Joe Biden. That just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And, uh, and in fact, he was, he, he was the victim of a whole lot of calumny. But forget about that. Let's say that Columbus did every single thing that they said that he did. All of the crimes that Columbus is accused of in his entire life do not equal the horrors and crimes of one four-day period in 1487 at the consecration of Tenochtitlan when the Aztecs ritualistically slaughtered an estimated 84,000 people, young people, women ripped their still beating hearts out of their chests and kicked their bodies down the side of the temple. This four-day period. And it wasn't just the Aztecs. Yes, the Aztecs were particularly nasty. And yes, when the Aztec empire was overthrown, the conquered peoples who were frequently sacrificed by the Aztecs celebrated. Of course they would have. But it wasn't just them. It was the Carib Islanders. The Carib Islanders who, who gave us the word cannibal. The, the word cannibal in our language comes from the Caribs because they were cannibals and they did all sorts of crazy things. And when Christopher Columbus arrived in the New World, he met this nice group of Indians called the Tainos and, and some of them had marks on their bodies. The marks were from the Caribs who were complete savages. And it wasn't just the Cab- Caribs, by the way. Going all the way up into North America, all the way up into upstate New York, the Iroquois practiced cannibalism. So many of the Native American tribes practiced cannibalism. Christopher Columbus, for all his sins, the man never ate people, okay? 
And so why do we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day? If you're comparing Christopher Columbus and the Indigenous Peoples, qua the Indigenous Peoples, you know, the, them as a people, Columbus was a zillion times better than they were. They did crazy stuff. They worshiped demons and, and slaughtered one another constantly and then ate their bodies. You know, the, the, the Carib Islanders raised babies to eat, human babies, and they considered that a particularly toothsome morsel, according to the biography by Samuel L.A. Morrison, who's one of the most respected historians in America, in American history. So no, it's, there's no comparison here. I, I, I hate to put too fine a point on it, but Tony Soprano got this exactly right. His history teacher, Mr. Cushman, is teaching your son that if Columbus was alive today, he would go on trial for crimes against humanity like Milosevic and, you know, Europe. Your teacher said that. It's not just my teacher. It's the truth. It's in my history book. So you finally read a book and it's bullshit. Tony. Look, you had to walk in Columbus's shoes to see what he went through. People thought the world was flat for crying out loud. Then he lands on an island with a bunch of naked savages on it. I mean, that took a lot of guts. You remember when we went to Florida, the heat and those bugs? Well, like it took guts to murder people and put them in chains. He was a victim of his time. Uh, who cares? It's what he did. He discovered America is what he did. He was a brave Italian explorer. And in this house, Christopher Columbus is a hero. End of story. End of story. Absolutely true. But that's not the end of the story for the liberals now. Robert Reich, who is that sort of diminutive fellow who worked in the Clinton administration, he goes on cable news sometimes, very left wing. He said, get Columbus Day out of your vocabulary. Today is now Indigenous Peoples Day. And why? Who cares? It's just a holiday, right? Who cares? The libs care. The libs care a lot. They focus a lot of time and energy and money on getting us all to hate Christopher Columbus and take down his statues and to celebrate the indigenous peoples. We're going to have Aztec Tenochtitlan Day or something. Why? Because it is a sign of cultural conquest and political conquest. Because it is a sign, because human beings need holidays and, and liturgy. Human beings need order to their lives. What we celebrate, what we worship, dev- defines our culture. And uh, previously, we were a confident culture. We celebrated the man who brought Christianity to the new world, the man who brought European civilization to the new world the man who gave us our traditional country, who started the chain of events that led to our traditional country. The libs hate all of that. And they finally amassed enough political power that they seem pretty able to blot it out. You Google, what day is it on October 10th this year? You Google it, it's going to say Indigenous Peoples Day. You talk to the Democrat Party, they're going to say Indigenous Peoples Day. You talk to your teachers, they're going to say Indigenous Peoples Day. They, they have conquered that holiday. It's a sign of a, a conquest, not of the Native Americans, not of the new world. It's a conquest of you and your country. The irony of all the anti-Columbus madness is we're told, look, Columbus was terrible to the people that we would now call the Hispanic people. Christopher Columbus, of course, invented the Hispanic people. Hispanic people are the combination of Spanish people and Native Americans. But, you know, the people who, who have this indigenous blood ancestry in America, they absolutely hate Columbus, and it's so offensive to celebrate Columbus Day, and that's why we've got to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Here's a poll just came out. This is a poll from WPA Intelligence. It uh, was on behalf of the Latino advocacy group Bienvenido, surveyed a little under 1,100 respondents, and it asked, how do you view Christopher Columbus? The majority of the respondents view him favorably. Of course. There's a whole country named after him down there. Colombia. Remember that country? It's named after Christopher. It's not named after the town in Ohio. The town in Ohio is also named after Christopher Columbus. So the majority of Hispanics view Columbus favorably. About 54, 53%. Only 24% view him unfavorably. So his net favorables are 29 points. It's pretty good. Meanwhile, the same polling firm asked Hispanics their view of Joe Biden. <laughs> Only 49% of Hispanics view Biden positively. 42% have a negative view of him that gives him a net favorable of seven points. So Christopher Columbus is much, much, much more popular among Hispanics than Joe Biden is. But it gets better because they interviewed uh, they, they asked them about their views on Kamala Harris. So uh, only 45% say they have a, a favorable view of Kamala Harris. 41% view her unfavorably. So that's a, a net favorable 
of four points. Obviously, Christopher Columbus is much, much more popular. So what does this tell us? Tell us. Forget about Columbus for a second. Forget about Hispanics. Forget about Biden and Harris. This tells us that the cultural revolution that we are seeing, the canceling of historical figures and traditional objects of veneration, the reordering of our language, of our holidays, of our liturgical calendar, all this craziness is not the result of a change in public opinion. This is not the organic bubbling up from the people whose views are changing. Get on board, you old fogies. The kids are creating a new world. It's not that at all. This is being imposed top down from liberal elites. Liberal elites who are pretending, they're, they're pretending to be offended on behalf of the Hispanic people. Well, we have to, we can't celebrate Christopher Columbus because the, that would be so mean to Hispanics. The Hispanics like Christopher Columbus. They don't like you, actually. And by you, I'm sorry, I don't mean you, the listener. I mean you, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. The Hispanics are pretty clear. They don't like you guys that much. They do like Christopher Columbus. So why are you guys canceling Christopher Columbus on behalf of the Hispanics who don't like you? Because it has nothing to do with the people. It has everything to do with imposing this from the top down. Liberalism is not the voice of the people. And the, the liberals who, who, who are always attacking the far-right conservatives, and I'm talking about the liberals on the left and even the squishy ones in the center and on the center-right, the, the ones who are a little afraid, we, well, we can't legislate morality. We can't impose our views on others. We can't, we've got a, you know, it's got problems, but liberalism, you know, it's the best thing we've got, at least the classical kind of liberalism or just liberalism, you know, it, it just gives people freedom to voice their opinions. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's what it pretends to do. But that is not what liberalism in practice does. Liberalism, like all political movements, is the movement of a small, motivated political minority imposing its views on other people. That's, all, that's almost always true in politics. And there's, there's a, a silver lining to that. There's a bright side to that, which is that sometimes conservatives get a little discouraged. We get, we get pretty blackpilled because we'll say, well, there just aren't enough of us. You look at the polling numbers, there just aren't enough of us who support life who support our traditional freedoms and civil liberties, who, who support the, the traditional American nation, you know, uh, apple pie and uh, truth, justice in the American way. We're just, we're not a majority anymore. So what? So what? Who cares? Public Christianity is on the decline. Church attendance is, is on the decline. Yeah. Okay. So what? Were the Bolsheviks the majority of Russians? No, <laughs> they were a distinct minority, a very, very small minority of political radicals, and they had a great effect. Do you think the leftists here in America were a majority of America by the time they reordered our culture? They're not a majority of America today, not even close. No, we can do this stuff. We can defend everything we hold dear from the, the American border to the American family, to our communities, to our Second Amendment rights, to our to our religious protections, all the way to Christopher Columbus. We can defend these things, even if we don't have a majority of the people. Or whatever. You think the libs have a majority of the people? Not even close. I th- we, our views are much more popular than their views are. Transing the kids and killing all the babies and opening up the borders and shipping our jobs overseas and fighting wars of adventure in the middle of nowhere for some abstract uh, vision of global liberalism so we can raise a pride flag in Kandahar or whatever is just none of that stuff is popular at all. The conservative views are much, much more popular. So why are we losing? Because popularity is not all that matters in politics. It's not even the most important thing that matters. We don't have the institutions. We don't have the power. And most importantly, we don't have the guts to wield political power on the rare occasions we get it. But don't tell, please do not tell me that all hope is lost because, you know, only 45% of Americans support our views. That's ridiculous. Just requires a little clarity and vision and courage without question. It is the, the liberal agenda is being posed, imposed by elites from above. Nowhere is this clearer right now than in Ukraine, specifically on the, on the expedition of the president of the American Federation of Teachers to Ukraine. Yes, Randy Weingarten, who is this crooked union boss that that pulls a lot of strings in the Democrat Party. Randy Weingarten, for some reason, is in Ukraine. 
She's there to, in her words, assess the damage after the Russian invasion and bombardment of Ukraine. Why? Why? I, so, for, for so many people, so much of the Ukraine war does not make a lot of sense. People are asking, why are we involved in Ukraine? Why are we sending all this money to Ukraine? Why does this so, seem so important to so many of the kind of beltway type people, but it doesn't seem important to ordinary Americans? And now you look at this, you say, why the hell is the teacher union president in Ukraine? None of this makes sense. This doesn't make sense if you think that America is a nation run like they told you it's run in Schoolhouse Rock. You know, I'm a bill up on Capitol Hill and the bill, the, the funding bills originate in the House and then they go to the Senate and then they're signed by the president. And then that's how our government works. And if you want to make some change in this world, just call your congressman and that's it. It's just laid out in the Constitution. That's not how the government actually works. Most of the laws, the actual laws that affect our actual lives in this country are not passed by legislators that we elect. Most of those laws are written by unaccountable careerist bureaucrats who don't give a damn what happens in the elections. And nowhere is this clearer than on foreign policy. Since at least the end of World War II, the American public has not had very much to say about foreign policy. A little bit here, a little bit there, but as a rule, and anybody in Washington will tell you this, foreign policy is essentially run by the deep state. And there are some good arguments for this. If the American foreign policy were entirely contingent on elections that happen in some cases every two years, then you would have no continuity. You would have nations around the world not being able to plan or trust in the uh, American foreign policy. You would have major institutions, especially major financial institutions, corporations, not being able to plan ahead. You, you certainly would not be able to have the U.S. dollar be the global reserve currency Right, you would not because the U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency is, is predicated largely on the fact that America is not a nation like they say in Schoolhouse Rock. America is a global empire. We are the global hegemon at least for now, and so we run the entire world, and that's why the whole rest of the world buys into the U.S. dollar and allows us to have the once strong economy that we had. If you understand that America is not a nation like you were taught in fifth grade but America is a global liberal empire that is governed by a liberal elite managerial blob, then it makes a lot of sense that Randy Weingarten would fly to Ukraine because the, the war in Ukraine is a war to protect the American empire. At least that's our involvement in the war. The, the war from the perspective of Russia, which invaded, is to expand the Russian territory and to oppose the expansion of NATO. It's a, it's a, it, the, the war in Ukraine, is, it, it, it actually is the only way that it makes sense that we're involved in the war in Ukraine. Obviously, Russia's not bombing New York yet. Russia's not bombing Los Angeles. But America views Kiev, uh, America views Ukraine as part of its strategic interest. Whether or not it is part of America's strategic interest, that, that is a question that remains open. But that is the argument, at least. And so Randy Weingarten, no, she's not a congressman. She's not a U.S. senator. She's not a governor or anything like that. She's actually more important than really any of those people because Randy Weingarten is the head of one of the most powerful unions. And that union has a lot of influence in the liberal blob establishment. And so Joe Biden is going to pay a lot more attention to Randy Weingarten's opinion than he is to some random Democrat congressman without question. He's going to pay a lot more attention to the heads of certain woke liberal corporations. He's going to pay a lot more attention to the heads in academia, to the press, to Silicon Valley. Those are the people that wield power. And they don't just wield power within our borders. We don't have borders anymore. They wield power over the entire American liberal empire. Now, the problem with managing this liberal empire is you get, you get pulled into all sorts of wars that you don't necessarily want to be involved in, notably Ukraine, which according to Joe Biden is bringing us to the brink of nuclear Armageddon. Those aren't my words. Those are his words. He mentioned this at a fundraiser. And so on ABC News, the anchor on ABC asks uh, John Kirby, who's the Pentagon spokesman, hey, what about Biden's crazy comments here on nuclear Armageddon? Here's what the Pentagon says. Joining me now is White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. 
Good morning, John. Let's start with President Biden's comments saying we are facing the potential of a nuclear Armageddon. I know the White House has said these are consistent with comments he has used in the past, but he's never said anything quite as stark as this. So is the president right? Are we facing a potential nuclear Armageddon? The president was reflecting the very high stakes that uh, they're in in play right now, Martha, when you have uh, modern nuclear power and the leader of that modern nuclear power willing to use irresponsible rhetoric the way that Mr. Putin has uh, several times in just the last week or two, uh, as well as uh, the the high tensions in Ukraine uh, over just the course of the last few days. So the president, I think, was accurately reflecting uh, the fact that the stakes are very high right now. So there's Kirby, who I misspoke. He's no longer the Pentagon spokesman. Now he's the National Security Council spokesman. He doubles down. He says, oh, the president called it a a risk of nuclear Armageddon. Oh, oh, yeah, that's what it is. He's accurately describing the stakes and the risks. I'll tell you, I know that Trump was a really bad guy. Trump was such a bad guy. He sent all those really mean tweets about Mika Brzezinski's face. He was just, wasn't he just awful? I will say though, we weren't on the brink of nuclear Armageddon under Trump. You know, and so I think on balance, like I could get mean tweets about uh, Mika Brzezinski's face and, and no nuclear Armageddon, or I could get that wonderful return to normalcy with good old Joe Biden who just wears his aviators and licks ice cream cones and falls off of bicycles, but be ever closer to the risk of nuclear Armageddon. I think I'm going to pick the orange guy. Call me crazy. I know I don't want to be politically incorrect, but of course that would make sense, right? But they're all doubling down because it's true. As I've said from the beginning in Ukraine, wars have started for a lot less. World wars have started for a lot less than what we're seeing right now in the first major war in Europe in 70 years. And so in response to this, are you seeing a, an off-ramp? Are you seeing a de-escalation? No. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, is now calling on NATO to launch preemptive strikes on Russia. This is what should NATO do? Elim- Eliminate the possibility of Russia using nuclear weapons. But what is important, I once again appeal to the international community as I did before February 24th. We need preemptive strikes so that they'll know what will happen to them if they use nukes and not the other way around. Don't wait for Russia's nuclear strikes and then say, oh, since you did this, take that from us. Reconsider the way you apply pressure. This is what NATO should do. Reconsider the order in which it applies pressure on Russia. I think I've had enough of this guy. I don't know about you. I think that we fought a Cold War for, what was it, 60 years almost? A little bit less than that. 50 years or so? Without ever once getting into a direct public confrontation with Russia. And we did that in in such a painstaking way because we knew that there was such a thing as mutually assured destruction. And we knew that it's not a good idea to get into a direct public shooting war with a nuclear major power. And we did it and it was very, very difficult to do, but it took really wise, careful statesmen to, and we got very close to the brink sometimes. Actually, a lot of foreign policy analysts are saying we are now as close to to direct nuclear war as we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was the closest we got in the Cold War. But thankfully, there was an exit ramp there. And then this freaking guy is telling us to launch direct strikes. The whole thing that we spent the entire Cold War avoiding. This guy, Vladimir Zelensky, says, come on, do it, do it, do it. For what? For what? I get it. I get it that Zelensky wants to keep his country and he wants to stay in power. I get it that it, it, it is evil to, to go in and invade a country and bomb all sorts of... I get it. War is a dirty, rotten, horrible business and Ukraine's in a very dangerous part of the world and that's been true for a very long time. I get it. People are comparing Vladimir Zelensky to Winston Churchill. In a way, he's exactly like Winston Churchill, not only because he is demonstrating some courage and standing up and defending his country, but because he's trying to drag America into war. <laughs> That's, that's why. That's what, that's what makes him Winston Churchill. But w- whereas the United States might have some particular interest in, in a war that could dominate the entire European continent, do we really think the same stakes are at play here in Ukraine? Do we, do we, really, th- do we really think there's no off-ramp here? What about when Joe Biden said not that long ago that if Russia just invades the eastern part of Ukraine, it won't be a big deal? Remember that? 
just a minor incursion. Where was all this tough talk about the territorial integrity of Ukraine back then? What about when Barack Obama said that if, if Putin wants to exhibit greater uh, strength and, and power in his traditional sphere of influence, that's not a big problem. What about then? What about on the more conservative side of the aisle, when you had people like, I don't know, Henry Kissinger, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, George Kennan, all saying maybe NATO should not expand, and forget those guys, Pat Buchanan for that matter, that, that NATO should not be expanding eastward and should be a little more careful about how they do that. What about those voices? Huh? But no, what are we hearing now? It's, I, I don't blame Zelensky for asking for more Western support. He's doing what he thinks he has to do in the best interests of his country. So I don't really blame him. I do blame the liberal blob that is completely destroying our foreign policy by indulging this kind of stuff. It's completely insane. It was completely insane to dangle NATO membership in front of Ukraine. It was completely insane to dangle EU membership in front of Ukraine. It is completely insane not to try to find some kind of off-ramp here. I was speaking yesterday uh, with a member. He's a, a foreign policy expert. He worked for the CIA. He was a major Russia guy at the CIA. He worked for uh, Vice President Dick Cheney. He's hopped around think tanks. Very serious guy who pointed out, look, showing American strength is a good thing. But the, the, the way that we were able to avert catastrophe in the Cuban Missile Crisis was to show American military strength, institute a blockade in all but name, but then also to do the behind-the-scenes diplomacy to find an off-ramp, which they managed to do. Are you seeing that anywhere here? I'm not seeing that anywhere in, in the U.S. policy with regard to Russia. I'm only seeing the, I'm seeing the military escalation, but I'm not seeing any diplomatic off-ramp. There was a guy from the Atlantic Council, Alex Pletsas. He worked for the Pentagon. He worked for the intelligence community. Now he's a fellow at the Atlantic Council. He posted yesterday this long thread about how we've got to stop complicating this matter of the war in Ukraine. He says, after the time in Ukraine that I've spent there, I can confirm Russia is running a strategic influence campaign inside the United States targeting GOP voters before the midterm election in an attempt to undermine support for Ukraine and cut off weapons and support. Russian propaganda is spreading lies. Their objective is to try and sway a new Congress to cut off support. Russia is spreading false narratives about money and weapons leaving the country on the black market that isn't true. If that was happening, they wouldn't be pushing the Russians back in a counteroffensive. Russia is also spreading nonsense about Nazism in Ukraine, of which I saw none. The Ukrainians need what they've been given and are asking for. Those who are spreading any of those narratives mentioned above are pushing Russian propaganda and undermining national security. Okay, what is he saying? So this guy, this Atlantic Council fellow, is saying that the, the Russians, Putin, is targeting American conservatives with propaganda to convince them to not want to fund as much of the war in Ukraine and that if the Republicans give into this and we, we stop funding the war in, in Ukraine, we're just going to be Putin puppets and undermining national security. That's kind of a weird part at the end, right? Undermining national security. What is the American national security interest in Ukraine? There isn't one. There is an American international interest in Ukraine. There's an interest to the American global empire in Ukraine, perhaps. But there is no American national security interest in Ukraine whatsoever. Russia could conquer all of Ukraine today. It would not change American national security. Might be a very sad thing. Might be terrible for the state of the world. Might upset the world order. I'm not questioning that. But national security, it's going to undermine, because of what? Because you're going to see the Russians start firing missiles from Kiev instead of Moscow? That's ridiculous. But okay, what about his main argument? Putin targeting the American conservatives with his propaganda, saying that there is a Nazi problem in Ukraine. The nonsense about Nazism in Ukraine. Okay, let's take a look at some of how Putin is targeting those conservatives. With um, How about this article? Ukraine's Nazi problem is real, even if Putin's denazification claim isn't. Uh, that's an article from uh, that right-wing outlet, NBC News. Is that where the Republicans get all their news from? Those American conservatives? No, you know where, you know where they probably get their news from? Uh, CNN, is that, that's probably it, right? A far-right battalion has a key role in Ukraine's resistance. Its neo-Nazi history has been exploited by Putin. There, so this is the version of, of Republicans pounce 
for international politics. Putin pounces. He's exploiting this. But they're admitting, this is CNN is admitting not that long ago, after the war started, March 30th, says, yes, Ukraine has this neo-Nazi issue in the country. Okay. That's, that's how Putin is pressuring. That's how he's using the media to influence conservatives is by publishing things in CNN. That doesn't make a lot of sense. The Nation? How about The Nation? Nation, one of the most left-wing outlets in the country. Neo-Nazis and the far right are on the march in Ukraine. Gosh, that Put- Putin's propaganda machine needs to get a little bit better targeting, don't you think, if he really wants to influence those Republicans with all that nonsense about Nazism in Ukraine? Salon, salon.com, even further left probably. Are there really neo-Nazis fighting for Ukraine? Well, yes, but it's a long story. Okay, there we are, also from Salon. And then here's the piece de resistance. This is my favorite one. Ukraine's got a real problem with far-right violence, and no, Russia Today didn't write this headline. It goes on to say that uh, uh, there are uh, uh, Nazi groups such as the C-14 group that uh, have ties to neo-Nazis and promote national patriotic education projects in the country. They're connected to the Azov Battalion, the National Militia. And, And so... Where is this article from? Oh, this is from the Atlantic Council. This is coming from the same think tank that this guy is a fellow at. (laughs) This guy, Alex Plitsas, who says that if you ever suggest that Ukraine is a complicated place and you maybe bring up the prospect of Nazism having a role in, in Ukraine, that you're pushing nonsense and Putin propaganda. So this guy's own think tank is pushing Putin propaganda, according to him. But of course, it's preposterous. It's this, the very same liberals who are telling us now we can't raise any questions about, about the nature of the war in Ukraine and what exactly the American role should be in that war. And if we should really just keep pushing for nuclear armageddon and launch strikes on Moscow for Ukraine. The very same people were the ones who were telling us not that long ago that Ukraine's got this Nazi problem. It's a terrible place. It's awful. Remember, they, they impeached Trump for allegedly colluding with the Ukrainians with the Ukrainians, they said. But that was then, this is now. And so from the beginning, my view on the war in Ukraine is the least popular view. It's that it's complicated. People people think I'm too soft on Putin. People think I'm too soft on the West. People think I'm too, I'm just, I just think it's a complicated conflict. And we should approach that conflict with care and caution and nuance because as the president of the United States says, we are on the verge of nuclear Armageddon. That's my view. But we're not allowed to have that view. Since at least the end of World War II, Americans are not really permitted to have much say over American foreign policy. And part, partly this is for the good reason that if for, American foreign policy changed every two years, certainly we couldn't have a global empire. Nations wouldn't really trust us. We couldn't, uh, have, our corporations would not be able to plan ahead into the future. So th- there is I understand the reasoning for why basically the liberal establishment took foreign policy out of the realm of self-government. But we're supposed to have a self-government, right? We're supposed to have a republic. We should at least have some say over our foreign policy, right? Shouldn't we at least be able to ask some questions? Before the war in Ukraine broke out, you were not allowed to tweet support of this group that is at issue here, the Azov Battalion on Facebook. That was called promoting Nazi propaganda. Your posts would be taken down. Then all of a sudden the war in Ukraine starts, and because Facebook is supportive of the war in Ukraine, and because the liberal establishment is supportive of it, all of a sudden you are allowed to post nice things about the the neo-Nazi group. And maybe there's a good reason for that. Maybe they say, well, the invasion by Russia is so so serious and such a threat to the world order that we have to, but uh, that's not my point. My point is that again and again, the left tells us, hey, everything we told you yesterday, yeah, forget about that. That's not real. Yesterday, yesterday, Oceania was at war with Eurasia. No, no, we, no, it wasn't. Oceania is at war with East Asia. Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. It's the same issue with Madonna going lesbian. <laughs> it's the same issue. It's the same issue with everything that the libs push us. It's the same issue with, we talked about this yesterday on the show. The Boston Children's Hospital says that a baby in the womb knows that he's transgender and that's why we need to trans the kids. Day before that, they were saying that there's no such thing as a baby in the womb. It's a stupid blob of cells. It's not human. It's not alive. It's not a person. It doesn't know anything. It can't know anything. It's just, it's nothing. But that was then and this is now. We're not allowed to say what they told us yesterday. It's constantly changing. That's why they have to erase the past. There has to be an endless present. 
George Floyd's death literally set the world on fire, divided America, and gave rise to the activist group Black Lives Matter. They raised $80 million through fundraising, but no one ever asked where the money went until now. Tomorrow, Wednesday, October 12th, Candace Owens will reveal the truth in her new documentary, The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Candace travels to Minneapolis to meet the people who knew George Floyd and Derek Chauvin, and then follows the money to find out just where it did and did not go. After more than two years of the leftist media ignoring the story, the answers will shock and surprise you. The longer the media stay silent, the louder we get, the more momentum we gain. Your Daily Wire Plus membership goes a long way to ensuring folks like Candace and Matt and everyone here has a megaphone. Free speech is our greatest weapon. Remember, we are speaking for you and fighting for your views and beliefs too. If you're not yet a member, go to dailywire.com slash Knowles to subscribe. Join us today and watch this week as Candace Owens' new documentary drops, The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. The... Conclusion of all this foreign policy talk is that for the past 70 or so years, Americans have not been allowed to have much of a say over foreign policy. The foreign policy is just going to keep on going on. It doesn't matter which party gets elected. It's going to basically be the same foreign policy. So who's running it? Who's running the national security state? Well, here's one of the people who's running the national security state, just to, just to make you feel extra super duper confident. This would be uh, Joe Biden's secretary of the army, Christine Wormuth, who wants to assure you that the army is not woke in terms of, you know, soldiers coming from um, marginalized communities or, you know, demographics that are not widely represented in the Army. That's part of why we've got to emphasize positive command climates and inclusion. You know, we get criticized, frankly, sometimes for being woke. I'm not sure what woke means. I think woke means a lot of different things to different people. Um, but. First of all, I would say if, if woke means, you know, we are not focused on war fighting, we are not focused on readiness, that doesn't reflect what I see at installations all around the country or overseas when I go and visit. But I think, you know, we do have a wide range of soldiers in our army, and we've got to make them all feel included. And that's why a lot of our diversity, equity, and inclusion programs are important. They're not woke. They just have so many diversity, equity, and inclusion programs because of the marginalized people, you know, who go into the army and they need to feel included. They need to feel really, really good about themselves, you know, and their identities. And especially if they're a trans, lesbian, Zoroastrian, it's really, but we're not woke. We just, we spend all of our time focused on completely useless, puffy, liberal nonsense and none of our time on winning wars or coming up with a sensible foreign policy, which is why our global empire is in complete collapse. That's it. That was the subtext of what she was saying. The very fact that this woman is the secretary of the army shows you how woke the army is. No secretary of the army should know half the words she just said. No secretary of the army should know diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those words should not be in the Secretary of the Army's vocabulary. Do you know who I want for the Secretary of the Army? I want, I want the reincarnation of George Patton. I want every third word out of the mouth of the Secretary of the Army to be an expletive. I want the Army to, to bully its members <laughs> to the point of absolute breakdown. By the way, this was, this was military training until about five minutes ago. You break people down just so you can build them back up again and toughen them up. I, the only thing I want the army to talk about is preparedness. I don't want to hear, she's not just the problem. I don't mean just to single her out. Look at Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, talking about how the army needs to waste its time reading liberal books about white rage. I'm, I am feeling white rage listening to these people speak because these people are, are gutting American national security not forget about gutting the traditional American nation. They're not, even if we have a global empire, okay, that is what it is. Play the hand you're dealt, but they're screwing all that up too. And they're bringing us to the brink to quote again, the president of nuclear Armageddon because of their liberal delusions and fantasies and stupid priorities. Insane. The, the next Republican president if we are permitted to have another <laughs> Republican president, got to watch those mail-in ballots, but the next Republican president Next time we have any political power in this country, you got to fire this lady. She's, a, she's just a career 
apparatchik for the Democrats. She's just a liberal bureaucrat careerist. Got to get rid of her. Got to get rid of Millie. Got to get rid of all these people. We think it's a minor issue. We think, oh, who cares? So she said diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not a big deal. It's a few training sessions. Okay, it's a few changes to our vocabulary. Okay, we're going to have a transgender bathroom. Okay, we're going to change Columbus Day to Indigenous People's Day. Okay, it's this minor change, minor change, minor change. Well, eventually your whole culture is different. And it is changed not for the better. It's changed for the worse. Speaking of the army, though, there is one little silver lining here, which is the uh, Biden administration was just asked to clarify its uh, stance on the draft. You know, the libs are pushing to draft women, though that remains controversial. As of now, the men have to sign up for the draft. But what about the trans women? What about, you know, the men, they're men, but then now they identify as women. And the Biden administration insists that they really are women. And the Biden administration insists that these people who are totally women really need to be allowed to serve in the military. So, okay, but what about the draft? Women are not drafted at the moment. Do the men who identify as women have to sign up for the draft? Because the answer to that question is going to tell us what they really believe about transgenderism. And I am somewhat relieved to say that the Biden administration knows that these people are not actually women. Biden administration says, this is the new guidance on requirements for selective service, U.S. citizens or immigrants who are born male and changed their gender to female are still required to register. Individuals who are born female and changed their gender to male are not required to register. So there it is. Now you might say this is hypocritical, this is incoherent, sure. But as La Rochefoucauld points out, hypocrisy is the tribute vice pays to virtue. And the Biden administration is admitting here for all their claptrap talk about the transgender women are women. And we need all, they all, these hulking men in leotards need to be able to swim on the girls swim team. And they need to be able to use the bathroom and the locker rooms with the girls. And, but for all that crap, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to brass tacks, they, they do know that these men are not actually women. They know it. They're just deceiving everybody. And they're, they're trying to even deceive themselves. I think also Biden is realizing he's gone too far. He looks at the polls, and yes, the the rule of the liberal establishment does not rely entirely or even largely on public opinion, but public opinion still plays some role. The the opinion of the people still uh, has influence over the kind of government that we're going to have, at least to some degree. And I think Biden's looking at it, he says, man, we've gone way too far. I'm very, very unpopular. I'm underwater on every single issue. And so now Biden is really focusing in as we head, we're less than a month out from the the midterm elections. He's focusing in on two words. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. Two words. That's right. I'm going to, I've just got one word for you. Madonna is a lesbian. I've just got three words. My name is Michael Knowles and this is the Michael Knowles show. I've got two words, made in America. Everyone is focusing in on Biden's senility and his inability to count or speak, which is very funny. Biden gaffes are always very, very funny. To me, the more interesting thing about this clip though, is what it seems to signal about Biden's political views, or at the very least of the political views of the administration that wrote that line. Made in America. Is this, hold on, is this the same Joe Biden who said a rising China is great for everybody? Is this the same Joe Biden of the same Democratic Party that's all in favor of shipping our jobs overseas and not protecting American manufacturing and regularly mocking, actually, the people who've worked in American manufacturing and said, well, they just got to learn to code. Yeah, those people whose jobs were shipping overseas or shipping down to Mexico. Yeah, they're just dumb idiots. You know, they should have they should have gotten a degree in coding or journalism. They should get a blue check mark on Twitter. They, they're dumb idiots, you know. Forget about made in America. Who cares? Make everything overseas and then it'll be a little bit cheaper. And that'll somehow even out. That'll somehow is that is that the same guy? Because it sounds to me like when Joe Biden says we've got a made in America agenda, it sounds like he's he's kind of channeling the America First movement. 
or the Make America Great Again movement. It sounds to me like he's kind of channeling Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the first major politician, certainly presidential candidate in many years, who put a focus on bringing manufacturing back to America in either party, in either party. And now what's most interesting to me about this clip is that Joe Biden realizes if he wants to be more popular going into the midterm elections and going into the general in 2024, he's got to be more like Trump. It's an admission. And it's, it's why I tell you, do not lose heart. Do not think that all your views, oh, you're, you're pro-life, you're, you support marriage as it's been understood for all of human history. You, uh, you like your borders and your American flag and your apple pie and your hot dogs on the 4th of July. And that's just, and you like Christopher Columbus. And you don't think that 65 year old pop singers should just become lesbians all of a sudden. And you know, you're, but your views, they're outdated. No one shares your views. You're an old fogey. You're an artifact. They're just waiting for you to die. I'm just telling you, your views are much more popular. Your views are not dead. The thing about the tradition is that it's not some old, dusty, dead thing from the past. It's the most vibrant thing that we have in the present because it has endured so much struggle, so, so many new fashions through history, and it has endured because it is strong, and your views are strong. And it's, it's not just me telling you that. The President of the United States, in honest moments, the Democratic Party, in their honest moments, they know that you're right too, and they know that those views resonate as well. Stick by them. The rest of the show is continuing now. You do not want to miss it. Okay, I'm bringing on the man that I'm playing in fantasy football this week. That would be Jake Crane of Crane and Company. I made the huge mistake of allowing my producer, Ben Davies, to choose my fantasy football team, which is why I think I'm in dead last right now. So uh, for some reason, I'm still making another bet on whether I'll win this week. I'm assuming I'll probably lose this one. Last time I lost, I had to electrocute myself on camera. Who knows what we'll do this time? Uh, Be sure to head on over there. The member block begins right now. 